Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Imri, the host of the Wannabe podcast, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I'm so excited that you're here. Just a quick reminder to get tickets to Wannabe Live, the Brand Builders Masterclass with myself and brand and marketing expert Prisca Moyesa. We'll be live on June 2nd in London Bridge. At the live show, we'll break down how to switch your business model when it's not working. We'll show you how we made money while we were still in side hustle mode. And we'll share how to get so comfy with your finances that you don't have to stay up at night. We want to see more women running businesses, so do come through. And we've added early bird tickets, so there's no excuse. Visit wannabelive.eventbrite.co.uk. This week, I'm excited to share that I am again joined by the futurist Natalie Kane. Natalie is the curator of digital design at the VNA Museum, and she's one half of Haunted Machines, a festival that explores the unexplained mysteries of technology. In today's episode, we talk about the questions you should ask yourself if you're building technology or a future-proof brand, and you'll find out what it's like to enter university when you're the first one in the family. And finally, we talk about public speaking and the discrimination that women face. Let's go. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? Oh my God. I think my earliest memory is that I wanted to be a vet on Animal Hospital. That is oddly specific. Which is very specific. But I think I grew up really wanted to be either a vet or a cardiologist. I didn't even know what a cardiologist was, but my mum watched Casualty a lot and I knew that it was a job that was like really important and people wanted you to do things. Um, do you know what? And then I think I wanted to be an astronaut, but in terms of actual specific people, hmm don't know i feel like it was probably one of the spice girls oh my god i've definitely got scary spice as one of the people i wanted to be yeah i, I, think, I think i was like i don't know specifically which one but i want to be in their <laughs> gang i'm one of my earliest traumatic memories is not being invited to a spice girls party that a certain person at my, my primary school i'm not gonna name names katrina didn't, invent, <laughs> didn't invite me to um it's fine we're still friends um but it's uh it's i think that was i think i quite like the idea of like seeing a collective of cool women doing angry things because it wasn't really much like that before if that makes sense it's so weird that you said that because i never realized just how influential they were like mm. they were a huge phenomenon and it was because they were like all girls and then i feel like afterwards we had this huge burst of girl bands yeah. that just popped out of nowhere like all of a sudden people realized it was super trendy i mean there definitely was the supremes and various other i mean they motown were, classic girl groups it definitely weren't actually i kind of i grew up listening to a lot of sort of motown my parents are really into it but i think it wasn't as like I did, there were just records of the house which is kind of sad that I didn't know more about them at the time because I think my parents just played them and they used to go to like Northern Soul Nights and stuff when they were younger nice um, but the, the actual I remember just seeing the wannabe video yeah. Video? yeah 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 and um, which is what this podcast is called, called. Well. i know um and that being really influential and just being like oh god there's these women who are like not afraid to like kick men in the face which i'm pretty sure happens <laughs> at some point and now that influences the way that i feel about men now so thank you 
Spice Girls. So I'm going to pick up on the cardiologist part um, and the vet. What did you do to try to fulfill that dream? It's weird because I think I kind of talked about wanting to be it for a while. And I definitely, I've always loved animals and I've always had animals. So I think my pets probably did get a few like plasters on their face and that kind of stuff at some point. And sorry, <laughs> mum. And then cardiologists, I think I, I got really obsessed with doing something medical for a bit because I was like, that feels like a really important job, but not like a nurse because I was like, well, no, but I was such a little idiot when I was a child. I was like, no, nurses don't do the real work. And now I'm like, you are an idiot. Like, what wow. are you talking about? Just because you weren't like a surgeon. Um, but I think I quite liked the idea of, of doing something to such a degree that it was like super technical and super weird. And then I grew up and realized I really can't stand the sight of insides or like, <laughs> or like the inside of people. And like, I've actually become more squeamish as I've got older, which I don't know what that says about me. Um, I, I can't, completely relate. Yeah. Can't yeah. watch it. I've tried as it gets like if it's like goth, gothic horror or like horror films, it's kind of fine, but anything remotely anatomical really freaks me out. Um, and then I wanted to become like a, um, I think I wanted to be a teacher for a really long time. And then I got really big for my boots and was like, I'm going to be a doctor of philosophy oh. or literature. I had no idea what it is at all <laughs> because like I, no one in my family went to university. Yeah. So I didn't have any in my entire thing. I think my, my cousin went to like whatever the equivalent of vocational college was where you had to go and do like computers and for video games but I didn't know what it was that's I just, really cool yeah but he's really cool he works for like EA games now I think or he did nice. work for EA games um but I remember knowing it was a thing that you could do because I'd watched Dead Poets Society <laughs> because my friend Sophie who again we've been friends for a million years her family are very different to mine and they were like super into like education they're both teachers mm-hmm. um and I remember kind of being in their house and like watching these kind of this, this whole part culture that I hadn't had access to. And it was because they were all university educated and had that. And obviously now I understand there's a, there's a weird dynamic there that was there. Um, I'm like literally going, I want to go to university and I'm going to go and become a, a doctor or something mm-hmm. because university is going to be full of people talking about ideas and like, I don't know, feelings, but good feelings. And then someone's going to like be brilliant. And then you're going to end up like writing 10 books and having a boudoir full of interested students. Basically all of American and US like (laughs) English television about old guard universities that completely ruined me for a while. And then went to university and it was shit. So, I mean, yeah. And I went to one of those oldie time ones that was really like, Oh, Hogwarts-esque. I mean, I was right next to Durham Cathedral, which was used as part of like the scene of Hogwarts. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And a lot of nights out did have that really magical, oh, look, pretty buildings and weird castle roofs. But yeah, no, ultimately it was still Mm. like fluorescent lights, dodgy costumes, semi-racist blackface things happening. You know, just a bit Uh, bit of a shit fest. Um, You merge careers like no other person I've ever met in my life. So (laughs) you are the digital design curator? Yeah, curator of digital design. Curator of digital design at the V&A now. Um, And you, can you explain what that is? No, um, <laughs> people be like, I've been there for about two months. It's very new. Um, so I've been brought in to basically um, figure out a way of kind of exhibiting and researching and talking with the public about what digital design is. So a little bit historically, and uh, yeah, because there's only really there's not a super amount that you could that, that 
beyond like 19, I don't know, actually sort of early 1900s, that's when it kind of starts. They're arguably, I'd say like 19th century, but it depends what you see what digital is, because technically the word digit comes from like 400 BC, which is units less than 10 that you measure with your finger. Yeah, I was going to say digits and fingers. That's what what it comes from. There's this massive gap until like the 1860s when someone talks about like counting things in digits. And um, But in terms of uh, kind of a collection, so we kind of collect items that are kind of important in kind of human history and I remember on my first day of working at the museum someone sat me down and was like you need to understand that you're a custodian of British culture now Ooh. you've got a responsibility to kind of preserve things for generations after you're long dead and gone and I was like so all the crap that I think is really important about computers that's gonna be there forever that's and he was like yes so cool I was like they're gonna hate me it's fine um, so a lot of it is like doing the research and also like doing a lot of public engagement about and of asking people what digital design is in their life now. Um, because I think that people specifically because it's so pervasive and it's literally so many it touches so many things and so many different disciplines as well. So like design as a whole, architecture, arts, like sculpture, engineering, all that kind of stuff is all kind of bound in there. So trying to get using museums or platforms to talk to people about that is quite interesting for me anyway. Yeah, no, that sounds beyond cool also i like that you're a custodian of british culture huh? yeah because we're not like it's, it's it's literally along the line of like like you are i'm, I'm supposed to be like there's a, there's a weird little rules that i've read recently it was like if you're a, a custodian of culture you, you have to defend it so in my head i'm like imagining a future zombie apocalypse where i'm standing at the front trying to stop people from touching my computers <laughs> so that's 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 what i can just defend about. it with your life yeah <laughs> that is such a cool job title um and also a role that i didn't think anyone could ever Im- embody also you're very young and a woman so that's really cool that you get to be blagger. yeah <laughs> <laughs> professional blagger no but um no why why you're here is because you talk about the future um and how that kind of how the future and technology intersect with like Mm. humans um and I really that's the part I loved about your talk as she says Brighton for context um and I found it so fascinating because you were mostly really (laughs) anti-tech in some ways but loved it in really uh, it's it's weird I I don't know how to explain it because I watched your talk back again to make sure that I was like no her name is Natalie um and I watched it back and I was like but you love technology but you hate technology or you hate what technology does and then I was and then I got confused um so um it's funny because like, I get asked this a lot like why do you hate technology so much and it's like I don't I think technology is bloody brilliant it's a reason why we're living the normal like i say normal yeah. we're living longer lives like it's a reason why we can cure things the reason why I, like i can get home late at night and it's a reason why i can do like we were just talking about on demand services like it's kind of great that you can like just order stuff to your house that's too far away and you've had a few <laughs> drinks and it's like yeah. like there's a there's a shop there no i mean obviously some of it's like oh, we've just been really lazy and terrible but th- the other thing is like you should still like technology is supposed to be an interesting thing that, that helps humans and it's always meant to be about us ex- using tools to extend the things that our feeble fleshy bodies can't do and mm-hmm. um, whether it's a phone that's literally an extra brain or beyond your brain to choose to language language is a technology like all of that kind of stuff is is things that we utilize as a way of interacting and understanding the world but then there's people who make it really really terrible and they sure. do stupid stuff like that no one needs like i don't know internet connected fridges i've got a real real issue with them they're real things though yeah they're very real 
Um, I don't get what they do. So they just like what monitor stock levels of like what's in your fridge. You think that, but they'll no. do things like are uh, you uh, like I don't know because I, I went to go and see a product demo of a of a Samsung fridge a couple like maybe a year ago, and it had the opportunity like it would be very helpful if it just told you when you run out of milk. I mean, it doesn't really need to have that because you probably know that, and someone will tell you like my my partner will text me and say you've eaten all the butter again. Can like <laughs> can you just bring it back to me with the spoon sitting in the kitchen? Um, but it's that that would be kind of helpful but it's things like calorie counting and nutritional value and um alarms and like there's one fridge that i saw that genuinely made me really angry because it was just like it will lock if it thinks that you've like if you're on a diet for instance you can say to it and i know that people who who are on calorie restricted diets for reasons that that's important but it, it's it kind of i'm not saying that it should be banned completely it's more thinking about the, the where that could make someone's life really difficult so um talking to people for instance who have problems with eating disorders like mm-hmm. if you give people the ability to enforce those rituals through that way like i remember speaking to a couple of like teenage girls about calorie counting apps and like the whole point of that is like if you're trying to do a diet that kind of is nutritionally balanced and that kind of thing but there's this whole culture of like the, that's built around those apps by people that we didn't think would do that because we didn't anticipate that could be a thing we've not put those safeguards we've not had those conversations it's not like you don't have to put an anti-anorexia filter on your on your um fitness pal but it's more like we need to be anticipating the conversations we need to have with young people with their lives with technology otherwise it, that that, that weird stuff's going to happen but it, technology companies don't think about that they just want data a lot of the time yeah um and it's, it's this kind of confusing myriad world where it's like i do hate technology in some plants i do love it equally but it's more the thing that i hate about technology is when it either tries to solve a solution that doesn't need fixing or it ignores the, the human interaction with it. It just thinks that it's a very objective system and that machines will just do a thing and that's fine. But it won't um, It won't ever be abused or misunderstood or used against someone like, I don't know, tracker apps, like the worst thing to have ever existed because they were invented. What? Yeah, they were invented to track children. Like, so people would be able to put things on, on your phone so you could track a child just in case it got lost. Now, the, the, the method behind that, it, it makes sense. Sure. Um. But the problem is, obviously, you should be in a point where you shouldn't have to helicopter parent your child. But if you're very young, that, that would make sense. But they're overwhelmingly bought and used by abusive partners wanting to track their their their, their girlfriends or their ex-girlfriends. Ugh. And because they run in the background, it's very difficult for you to know that they're, yeah. that they're there. Um, and even things like um, sharing locations. So Apple recently had a bit of an issue with this where, you know, when you can share your location with friends or you can add friends to a Find My, my Friends app on Apple. Yeah. Lots of people don't know that they've shared their contact with people unless like the, the, obviously you've done it. But if you've got an abusive ex-partner and your phones are next to each other, you can very quickly do that and you'll just keep running in the background. Um, and all this stuff that's like, I don't want to alarm you and tell you this stuff is happening, but it's more knowing that it can happen helps us have those conversations better and helps us find ways of talking to people about really difficult things rather than just throwing technology at it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, that's so terrifying. I mean, I'm it, now scared of technology. No, but you shouldn't be because technology, again, it's like, it's great because it's, it can get you a HDMI cable an hour, which is a literal <laughs> thing I've done once for an art installation. Um, but it's it's more um, understanding that technology doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen in a thing where it will go out into the world and then whatever it is intended to do, that's what it will do. It's more people like understanding that it might affect people in different ways and there's messiness about how like I don't know class and gender and sexuality and all that thing kind of come into it. Yeah. Because often these technologies and the systems they're built on were either kind of created by bunch of white dudes in california or they're based on data sets which are very limited so this is why you have shit like there we go it's the first one of um the first apple watch couldn't read the heart rate of black like skin like like darker skin because it uses green light which you can't read through darker skin tones and you see that horrible video of the guy tr- like trying to get some soap out of a dispenser because he's got a dark like a darker hand than his his like colleague he yeah. can't get soap because it doesn't read you as being a human. And if it's reiterated over and over again, wow. if you're like, you don't want to tell black people that they're not seen as human by technology because that's horrific. And people don't deliberately try and do that. They just yeah. don't think about it because they don't test it with black people. Yeah. They, or people of color, like generally they, they just, they'll always have this very straight kind of data set. Oh, that's so fascinating. I mean, oh, technology is telling black people they're not human. Mm. But that's like that's a terrifying flying thing. Which it's like quite terrifying. We shouldn't as a have black to person. have that. Yeah, we shouldn't <laughs> have to have that conversation. It's just, but it's it is literally because people don't anticipate. I think that's the thing that I get interested. Like the things that when we do, so like I don't know, when you think about the future, a lot of the things aren't going to happen. But it's important to understand that we've even imagined it in the first place. So yeah. the act of imagining anything or putting anything into being or willing anything into being itself indicates towards something that's happening now. That's kind of the yeah. role of science fiction, essentially. Yeah. But when you have like Kickstarter pitches, they are like mini science fictions, but they're much nearer. It's like people trying to will the stuff into the world and they're trying to push forward an idea of something, but they won't analyse the world that it could kind of think about. Yeah. Actually, I'm not saying you should ban all Kickstarter videos. But, um, <laughs> I know some very successful Kickstarter campaigns that have made the world a much better place as a result. So, Good. Um, how do you even. Because I think for me, I would never even think about that. Like it just wouldn't occur to me. And I guess that's probably true of a lot of people that it just mm. wouldn't occur to us to think outside of ourselves. Um, and that's probably like an element of privilege of, oh, I never would have thought like a tracker app and domestic violence. I mean, mm. unless I probably experienced it, in which case, yeah. So how do you then jolt people into thinking about that do you have to go into those technology companies like is there best best practice and ethics around these things because i remember when we were developing um like just a pretty standard recruitment app a long time ago Mm. um we were going through like a code of ethics and it was still kind of like this growing and evolving document that wasn't quite finalized yet Mm. um and yeah like it kind of just seemed like no one really knew knew what they were doing or what the ethics should be on the technology that they're producing but how do, how do you then how do you even navigate this I th- it I th- feels th- like a bit of a mind f word 
I mean, it's a it's a it's a very complex problem, and that's not me pushing it off and saying like it's a very politician's answer. It's like it's a very difficult issue. I think it's because it's so again I said earlier it's so pervasive and so it kind of interacts with so many different points of life now. Technology is like from like a policy level to a governmental level to a educational level to the media, all of that kind of thing. I think the the, the best thing that that kind of tool that I can I try and give to who are trying to figure out this stuff is like don't just assume what you're given always kind of go okay so that's one narrative that's being put forward Mm -hmm. okay so like okay so either try and you can either physically put yourself in someone else's shoes which is very difficult if you're not used to interacting with that group of people um no one wants to accidentally do i don't know anthropology blackface or whatever it is um but like trying to figure out okay so if i was from this personality how would that affect me differently or if i was uh, in this particular country how would that affect me differently um but i think it's the, the way that we usually find it from working in, in foresight i used to work quite closely or i still kind of do work closely with a group called changist who are mm-hmm. amazing and really um wonderful people and they found storytelling and narrative to be a really good way to figure that out because everyone likes stories everyone understands about stories but if you get people to work with you to create a story that they kind of unfold themselves um and do things like okay so either either using a provocative object or a storyline and you kind of like we usually do things like um we ran a series of summer schools and we still do summer schools where there's a theme and like you get people to think about okay so in five years this is your timeline what are the things that could happen mm-hmm. what kind of um so you have the other thing that's called the futures cone i think i might have mentioned it as she says there's three possible timelines there's the the, the things that are probable so for instance the sun is going to rise tomorrow we yeah. think um we you hope. have the plausible which is based on current knowledge it could happen but it's not completely certain well it's not it's, it's less certain than probable which is um theresa may might not be prime minister by may yeah, that would be great. I agree. And then you have um, possible, which is like it probably isn't going to happen, but it's it could be sort of knowledge there, which is like Brexit's never going to happen. Uh, it's like it was like I've I'm, I'm become very cynical now, but the idea of like mapping out that stuff on that timeline, and you do it over five years, and you get people to start just imagining. Okay, so if uh, in five years' time it could be possible that Brexit won't happen, what steps were leading up to that from point zero to now that which would enable that to maybe people might change their mind about that kind of thing um and you get people to think along like social technical economic environmental political legal this is a thing called steeple 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 um (laughs) but you get people to think about things across different things but i think the key thing for me is like the reason why storytelling is really important is because it's not about numbers and data and charts and reports it's like when you the reason why literary fiction is amazing and makes a lot of people kind of more rounded and that's my my degree in literature kind of talking um they enable you to kind of see things in different perspectives and think differently about the world and like use narrative as a way to work through something that's really difficult Mm -hmm. so if you can get people who want if you said to people like some horrible terrible scenario but if you tell them a story about it it's a bit more break but you can break it down a little bit easier yeah um but I don't, I guess it's like one of those things that when you start, to, it's like questioning everything and question everything. Don't just take everything at face value. Like if, if like when you read a story, why do they get to be the hero of the story? Like who, like what happened? Like who, what about the girl at the bus stop as Nick Foster says in his amazing essay called The Future Mundane? Um, like design, don't design and don't think about Tom Cruise in this situation. But what about the girl at the bus stop? He's got two kids. They've got to get home. Like what, what, where does their experience of your, this story affect them? Like this guy driving his car through a street probably will, it's going to disrupt her bus route now. Yeah. I want to know what 
the worst advice you've ever received was and what the best advice you've ever received was? God, that's a great question. Like, hmm. The best advice is easier. Cause I know it's a really, really, really corny, but it's it's um someone just basically said, like you don't need um actually it's my friend Tobias who said like you don't need to um I often say at the end of sentences if that makes sense or if you get me or if like if you it's because of my own insecurity of that not being understood yeah and he's like you don't need to do that because the reason why you're like you're here is because people want to talk to you but you have to be yourself you have to kind of like you you can't be anyone but yourself stop trying to make people think that you're I don't know like 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 be very kind of honest about what you don't know so like a sign of maturity um was saying I don't know to it when someone says something like if you know something because when you're younger especially you kind of go like oh yeah, yeah I know that book oh yeah, yeah I know that person just say like no I don't know that Tell me about them. The worst advice I've ever had was someone um, tried to tell me to to get rid of my quirks out of how I speak and how I talk because it didn't seem to be professional or didn't seem to be, um, I don't know, it's basically, it's that horrible thing that happens with women. I mean, do you know about the vocal fry? Yeah, I do so know I about ha- vocal fry. Mm. So I have vocal fry and I've had someone... Oh, now I, I hear like, it. Now I you do have it. it. Um, but again, I've got a lot of friends who are American who've obviously that's where it kind of originated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had, again, older white men tell me that the way that I speak sometimes is a bit hysterical or it's a bit too fast or it's a bit too, um, and like, maybe you should sort of slow down and think about what you're saying. Like, I think about what I'm saying. I'm not stupid, but it's more, um, a specific, particular way of talking where it removes certain parts of my personality. I think that that's a very gendered thing a lot of the time where women are told to speak in a certain way because often like I don't know their voice is irritating to men <laughs> or something screw men yeah. it was that, it was like a public speaking I thing hate I went that to. no I've refused to go to public speaking things um I've just become a good public speaker all by myself and I loved yeah. your quirks I think what I love about watching you speak because I've watched a few things now not stalkerish but just a few God. things just it's one and two videos Anyway, um, I watched a few things and what I really like is that it's very personal. It feels like you're being 100% yourself. Like it does come across very genuine and that makes it entertaining. And I've watched so many speakers who have zero personality and they tend to be straight white men. And I'm My like, life is a joke, Imre, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you add like so many of your own personal thoughts and opinions um, alongside like facts and statistics. And it's like you... You are somewhat slightly self-deprecating in some of your talks, which I find strange and unnecessary. But it's also part of who you are. Yeah. But it's but it's it's so it's almost like relatable because I I know I do that where I'm like oh I don't mm. know um, and yeah I really like watching you speak and I would recommend that everyone go and watch like Natalie on videos because it's oh, very kind and unwarranted. But no, but I, 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 the self-deprecating thing just to go back to that I think it's it kind of ties into the worst advice bit. Yeah, and like I think it's because of again, particularly women are they do fall towards deprecating because of having to argue their place and being somewhere. Yeah, and it's one of the things I would really like, even though I know it can be quite funny if you're a stand-up comedian. But like actually, sometimes I would like to be able to like not make a joke of myself sometimes, especially with the situations where you're asking people for money or like (laughs) their time or museum exhibits or whatever. Um, but it is, I think maybe it's because I, I kind of, I, I don't, I, I have a real thing about being anti-polish and really anti, um, I'm really pro-mediocrity. 
Oh, I love this. You're because like my like, favorite person. Not right everyone now. has to be a polished superstar. Like, because if that can discount so many people who might have weird, like, kind of, I don't know, quirks and weird ideas to talk about themselves, they should be given as much of a platform. They shouldn't feel they have to like homogenize themselves to be able yeah. to get that platform. Um, it's, a, it's again, a very kind of classist, um, sort of racist thing often where it's like, having to make yourself speak and be in a certain way yeah. to be legitimized. And I was like, I don't understand that. <sighs> that like oh. was like a shot straight to the heart because I know that I had to change. I have changed the way I speak mm. um, as a result of mostly university, yeah, lower yeah. sixth form. Natalie is phenomenal. If you're interested in becoming a futurist yourself, then make sure you are following her on Twitter at ND underscore Kane. That's ND underscore K-A-N-E. You can find out more about Haunted Machines at hauntedmachines.com. Don't forget that Wannabe is going live for the very first time on June 2nd. And if you are a brand builder, this session is 100% for you. So make sure you get tickets at wannabelive.eventbrite.co.uk. There's only a limited number of early bird tickets available, so make sure you nab one. If you like how this podcast is made and you think that you can do what I do, then you need to reach out to the Shoutout Network by visiting shoutoutnetwork.co.uk. Make sure you are following Wannabe on both Twitter and Instagram. I love interacting and seeing your comments and your thoughts on the episodes. So make sure you're following at Wannabe Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you are using an Apple device. And I will see you again next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.